hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Chinese New Year started this week, and it's the year of the pig. In Chinese culture, so I'm told, the pig is a symbol of wealth. Maybe that's some sort of sign for investors over the coming months. The markets are off to the best start that they've had in over 30 years. That is, of course, after a disastrous fourth quarter last year. After declining almost 20% from October through December, the markets rallied off the low and finished off January up about 8%. We're still about 7 or 8% below the high set back in October. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully, you'll find it more entertaining than the Super Bowl. <laughs> Patriots fan, fans are saying, what's he talking about? It was a great Super Bowl. But anyhow, if you want to learn more about us, go to our website. It's xmlfg.com. Once again, it's xmlfg.com. Today, we're going to take a brief look at the markets, and then we're going to be joined by Kevin Peters. Now, Kevin Kevin is an insurance guru. He's been in the business for well over 20 years. He's a graduate of the University of Maryland, Go Terps, and he's one of the founding members of the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan chapter, chapter of the National Aging in Place Council which assist in providing education and resources to the uh, local aging population. He's also the president of the board of directors for a local nonprofit in Washington, the Kingman Boys and Girls Club. And I wanted to have Kevin on to talk about long-term care, that is long-term care insurance and insurance in general. You know that I think one of the keys to success in your financial life is having a solid well-thought-out, written financial plan in place. And part of the plan is looking at risk. So we'll have Kevin on in just a few minutes. Right now, things seem a little bit better, but that's what a rising market does to your attitude. It makes you feel better (laughs) of just about everything. The issues that we're facing haven't gone away. And for the most part, they've just faded back into the shadows a bit. An earnings slowdown was at the top of the list for many of you, and we're in the thick of it now when it comes to earnings announcements, and they haven't been so bad so far. Analysts have slashed their estimates over the last few months, which has been making things a little bit easier. The government shutdown is over. Yeah, kind of, sort of. The president signed legislation that reopened the government, but just for three weeks. Thank goodness, because the federal workers can finally get some money coming in. But the president has already said that he sees less than a 50% chance of reaching a deal in time, which means come mid-month, we could be looking at another shutdown. Last week, last week, good news. The Fed stood pat 
and they didn't raise interest rates, although no one really thought that they would anyhow. And they were definitely, definitely more dovish in their statement, which said, and I'll quote, the committee will be more patient as it determines what future adjustments to the target rate for the federal funds rate may be appropriate, end quote. To me, that sounds like they're going to be holding off raising interest rates for a while. And how could we forget the U.S. Uh, US China trade negotiations? Talks are ongoing, but if nothing's achieved, then the U.S. could add more tariffs onto the Chinese imports come the beginning of March. Again, this stuff has just kind of faded back into the shower, uh, shadows. It hasn't really gone away. These issues could easily come up again. At this point, I'm inclined to favor the cyclical names over the defensive names. Although I always like adding defensive names to the portfolio winning when I can get them at really good prices. It just seems like now the cyclicals are cheaper as a group, but I approach them on a fundamental basis. From a technical basis, common sense would probably tell you that we started off January in an oversold mode. And with the current rally, we're probably a bit overbought. Sentiment went from extreme pessimism to optimism. Now, with that said, the set it and forget it crowd, you know, the crowd of ETF investors, they've pulled a lot of money out of the market over the last couple of months. And you could very well see that money rushing back in as people get a case of FOMO. That's the fear of missing out. So stay with the fundamentals and look for good values. Be a long-term investor, not a renter of stocks. You know what? Let, let me give you a few reasons why I think you should be invested for the long term. Number one, it takes the takes your emotions out of it. If you have a well-thought-out, reasonable plan and you've done your homework on your investments, then you know what your portfolio needs to do over the long term. And just as important, why you own the stocks that you do. If you own good stocks and you bought them at reasonable prices, you aren't going to overreact when the market corrects and the market does reset on occasion. If you own something like Pepsi, symbol PEP, it's a high quality business. And if the market goes down, then yes, Pepsi will go down. But Pepsi isn't going away, not anytime soon. People are still going to have their diet Pepsi with their lunch. You're not going to worry about it. Number two, if you're buying and holding, investing for the long term, it's more than likely you'll pay less in taxes. If you're trading in and out of stocks and you're holding them for less than a year, assuming you made a profit, then you're paying taxes on that gained at earned income rates, which is probably higher than long-term capital gains rates. That is, if you held it for more than a year. Number three, you'll make less mistakes. And that's pretty much common sense. If you're constantly adjusting your portfolio or you're trying to chase the latest and greatest thing out there, you're making a lot of decisions. And the more decisions you have to make, the more likely you're going to be wrong at some point. And if you're chasing the latest, hottest investment, then you're more than likely going to suffer a permanent loss of capital somewhere along the line. And I say that because, well, remember Bitcoin? 
course you do. I got so many questions from folks about Bitcoin when it was hot. Should we buy some? Everyone's making a ton of money. Do I, I need to get in? See, one of the financial programs on TV even had a Bitcoin expert on every afternoon telling you which one you should invest in. And we know what happened. People poured in at the top and Bitcoin plummeted. And that's the money that they're never going to get back. That's what I call a permanent loss of capital. And the last one. You just can't time the market. It's a fool's errand, so you might as well be in it over the long term. Studies have shown investors are better off. If you think that the market is going to go down 10%, you just know it. You know you're right. And you you know what? The market starts to slide a little bit. The market goes down 2%, and you decide, you know what? I'm getting out. Well, great. That's awesome. Now the market bottoms. And one day you wake up and it's up two or 3% and you decide to get back in. Well, after you're done all your trading and paying taxes, you probably aren't that much better off than just holding on to it. And that's being pretty accurate in calling the tops and the bottoms. And reality is, is that just doesn't happen that way. I strongly suggest that you stay value-oriented and long-term focused with your investments. Speaking of long-term, we're going to step away for a minute. And when we come back, we'll be talking about long-term care with Kevin Peters. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing, and we are back in a moment. worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. And as promised, sitting next to me is Kevin Peters. Kevin, thanks for coming on, taking time out of your busy schedule. Last time you were on, we had a discussion about Medigap policies. And I know you got tons of calls afterwards. So I thought I'd have you back on to talk about long-term care. This has come up for me in a couple of situations over the last couple of months where there's been questions about it. Um, But before we jump into all that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, You've been in the business for a long time for such a young guy. And uh, I know you do a lot of good work in the community too, but why don't you give us a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, Eric. So I started in the industry, the financial services industry, 1997, 98. Um, 
So at that time, I worked for John Hancock in McLean, Virginia, and basically it's just doing long-term care planning, advising clients on long-term care. Um, there was a big push for that before the federal long-term care plan came out, right. I believe, in 2000. Um, and then in 2000, I became independent and uh, for a variety of reasons. And then 2004, joined my current firm, and uh, we hit the ground running and continue advising on business insurance, uh, personal insurance, life, health, long-term care, disability. Uh, currently, the director and managing partner of XML Insurance Group. And uh, long-term care is a big component of what we do and helping our clients protect their assets. Yeah. Being independent is, is a big deal. So let's talk about long-term care. Sure. I tell you, I never like talking about insurance, but, but you have to, right? Right. It's part of the financial planning process. What, so what is long-term care? So it's a good question. And, and long-term care, most people think of long-term care, they think of nursing home care and kind of a worst case scenario, but there's a lot more to it than that. Um, long-term care can be really provided in a variety of different environments. Uh, long-term care is basically helped with day-to-day activities like eating, dressing, bathing, maintaining continence, that type of thing. It can be due to a physical uh, impairment uh, or a chronic long-term care illness resulting from that impairment. Um, it also could be a cognitive impairment where somebody just needs supervision on a daily uh, basis to try to protect themselves from harm. Um, so th- that's a basic the idea behind long-term care is it's something that's really more help with custodial care, help with day-to-day activities or supervision. Right. So it, so it covers everything from home care, uh, adult daycare, nursing home, sure. hospice, all that, right? Sure. So, and that's a good question because, like I said, when people think of it, often they think of nursing home care. But um, when we design plans or advise our clients, we're really uh, trying to help them Um, stay in their own home as long as possible if they can. There's basically four areas where you might receive care, home care, adult daycare, assisted living facility, um, and ultimately nursing home care. Um, So it really can provide coverage or benefits in in any one of those four settings. Right. Now I'm going to jump around here to to a bunch of different subjects about long-term care when they come to my mind. Uh, When do I need it? Great right. Question. So I, I'd like to consider myself a young kind of guy, sure, right? Healthy, sure. active. Sure. And I've heard that, well, you want to buy it as young as possible because the premiums are cheap. And then, you know, or maybe later is better. Is there an optimum time when I should be looking at this type of stuff? Sure. And that's probably one of those common questions that we have at our seminars, our dinners, um, when we're sitting with clients is when's the right time? And it's not an easy question um, to answer. We typically recommend that our clients look at it between age 50 and 65 if they can. Uh, I hear a lot of experts on TV um, that try to uh, say the cutoff year is age 60. You better do it before age 60. Um, And that doesn't mean that someone at age 62 or 63 shouldn't be looking at it if they didn't get a chance to or they didn't think of it or didn't get the advice on it prior to that. But really, uh, long-term care policies, uh, they go up incrementally every year. So each year that you wait or you're, you're statistically closer to needing care, the cost of the insurance is going to be higher. So we advise our clients to look at it at a younger age uh, while they're healthy. And that's the big issue is if you're so close to needing it, um, you may not be able to get approved for a long-term care plan because of a health issue. So that's really the big risk. 
We want people to look at it when they're younger. Um, I would advise clients between age 50 and 65 to really look at it, but it doesn't mean after age 65 it's too late. Um, still, there are some good options for people um, to look at long-term care mm-hmm. plans. Now, is this something that I, I should think about? Okay, I have my disability policy now because mm-hmm. I'm working. I want to cover that income. Now that I'm, you know, I'm closer to retirement or maybe I'm going to retire, Sure. you know, when I drop the disability, is that maybe the time you start looking at long-term care? That would kind of seem the natural. Yeah. And it's, it's another good question. And, and it's uh, one of the things that I find is confusing for people. A lot of people think, oh, I, I've got a long-term care policy. And when we sit down there and with them and review their policies, we find that the long-term care policy, so they thought, is actually a long-term disability policy, which is really designed to replace income. Um, so what we're finding is that people in that age where they uh, might need to start looking at a long-term care plan, they may be able to, I wouldn't say drop their disability policy outright, but start thinking critically and saying, well, if I'm closer to retirement, uh, maybe I don't need uh, as much uh, disability coverage for replacement of income long term, but really I need the coverage to uh, cover the cost of care, which disability insurance doesn't cover. That's really about replacement of income. Long term care insurance is really about coverage to cover the cost of that custodial care or needing assistance with those day to day activities. Another point related to that is we find people in their 60s oftentimes might have an old life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. that they haven't looked at in a long time. Mm-hmm. It might have some cash value built up in it. Um, that's a good opportunity to say, all right, well, do I really need all this life insurance? If my kids are through college, um, I don't really have the mortgage debt that I used to. I've got a nice nest egg. How much do I need to keep dumping into this life insurance policy if I have liquidity in my estate? Maybe those premium dollars are better used to leverage against a long-term care risk versus a life insurance risk. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, what surprises me is the cost of long-term care. I mean, healthcare in in general, drug prices is certainly a a hot political topic now. Sure. But, uh, you know, nursing home care, that, that stuff's expensive, isn't it? Absolutely. And so one of the things that we try to educate our clients on when designing a plan is what are the costs of care where you are? Um, and then what are the costs of care where you might be retired or spending your quote unquote golden years? So the national average, um, and this is from the cost of care survey, which you can go on the internet and, and take a look at. It's done by Genworth on an annual basis. Um, the national average is about for a private room is about a hundred thousand dollars a year. A semi-private room might be $90,000 a year. Um, you know, something like home health aid or homemaker services, might be $50,000 a year. $100,000 a year for, for, you said, a private room? That's correct. And that's the national average. And that's in today's dollars. Right. Okay. So we're in Washington, D.C. Sure. Or, you know, the suburbs of D.C. Sure. So what's it really cost here? Yeah, it's a good question. And one of the things that's kind of neat and I recommend that people take a look at on their smartphone, a lot of people have smartphones these days, and um, they can download an app called the Genworth Cost of Care Survey. It's free. And you can actually plug in your location. In fact, I'm looking at it right now and I can pull up a private room in the District of Columbia is around $12,000 a month. So if you project that out, 12,000 a month. Now. Yes. Okay. 
That's so a, that's a lot higher, about 40% higher than the national, national average. average. So that's that's a pretty scary figure. And the other thing you can do with this app, which I think is kind of nice and, and neat, it may scare you a little bit, but you can project out. So I'm in my mid-40s. It might be 30 years, realistically, when I'll need to use the care. And I can slide the app uh, button up to 2048 and take a look at the cost. And then we're talking about a private room being $28,000 a month. So these are the type of things that we're trying to recommend that people plan ahead for, maybe not necessarily in their 40s, but certainly in their 50s and beyond. Right. What's the name of the app again? It's called the Genworth Cost of Care app. Okay. So it's put out by Genworth, the insurance company. It is. Not that we're promoting an insurance company. They just happen to be the ones that that put it out there. Correct. And and a lot of different companies will reference that because it's a good database. Um, It's a good database that um, consistently every year has, has good... Um, data on the cost of care across the country. It, the, and, and that brings up some, because you mentioned Genworth, you know, Genworth had some problems sure. being a, being a stock guy, you know, Genworth had some problems a few years ago mm-hmm. and GE is going through it now mm-hmm. where they priced a lot of these long-term, I'm assuming they priced a lot of these long-term care policies uh, inaccurately, <laughs> sure. I guess is the nice way of putting it. Sure. They basically mispriced the sure. policies sure. and all these insurance companies are having problems. So when I go looking at different policies, what do I need to consider? Do I look at like insurance ratings? Sure. Uh, you know, the, do they have a triple A or, or what do I look for there? Yeah. So that's a, a good point. And I think it's something that's been in the news a lot is the, the increases in policy premiums. Um, and Genworth is one that's definitely been in the news a lot. Um, and so to that point, a lot of these companies expected higher lapse rates, meaning they didn't expect people to continue to renew their policies. But what they found was people had friends and relatives that were going through long-term care illnesses. And so they continued to renew their policies. So with less people dropping their policies, that means more risk exposure. Um, They also had um, not a lot of great options to invest their premium dollars. And I'm not totally defending the insurance carriers here, but to give you a little background, um, when the interest rates are at all-time lows, it's tough for them to keep up with the cost of the benefits increasing because most people, when they design their policies, have some inflation built in to keep up with the cost of care. Um, And so a lot of these companies went through rate increases. Um, in order to re- to raise rates on uh, a particular in, uh, individual or a policy, they have to raise it on the entire class of people. So they can't just take you, Eric, for instance, and raise your policy rates. They have to get approval from the state insurance commissioner, assuming you have an individual policy, um, on the federal long-term care policy. Right, because a lot of people got notices a couple of, well, maybe three or four years ago yep. saying, Correct. oh, my government long-term care policy is right. is going up. Right. Yeah, and they had to go to the Office of Personal Management and get approval. Uh, the carrier at this point is John Hancock. Uh, one of the things about the federal plan, when it initially came out, is they had an open enrollment period. So uh, while a lot of people jumped in because they thought, all right, this is a great plan, it's a group plan, there's a slight discount as it being it was being uh, offered as a large group, during the open enrollment, they had people that were high risk that were able to get on the insurance. Um, so, so they didn't have to qualify, well, a group plan 
Sure. So basically what they had is a streamlined underwriting uh, policy uh, approval. So they had uh, a short form of questions that they could answer to get approved. So some of those folks that normally wouldn't be able to get long-term care coverage in the private marketplace were able to get it through the federal plan. Now that's um, become a little bit more stringent these days. So people that have certain health issues, they're not able to get on the coverage um, now. But uh, back then that exposed a lot of healthy people in that risk group to um, higher risk people in their risk pool. And the translation to that is a rate increase, uh, round of rate increases that uh, drove up the cost for a lot of people in that risk pool. So some unhappy people. Uh, but generally, you're given an option to uh, decrease your benefits or decrease your inflation, for example, to keep your premium level. And similarly, on the private side, Many people were off, offered um, a, a change in their benefits to be able to keep their policies and keep their premiums level. Right. So two things went wrong here. Number one, they they thought people were just not going to continue to have their policies. Correct. A lot like term life, I guess. Correct. You know, they buy a 10-year term life and people keep them for five years and say, oh, I don't need it anymore. Correct. They thought the same thing was going to happen with their long-term care. Correct. Turned out not to be right. Right. And then the the premiums they took in, they couldn't get the return that they thought they were going to get, Correct. right? Because, well, you buy bonds and you get 2%. Correct. And you're paying out 5% inflation adjustment to the people who are making claims. Right. So you had kind of this perfect storm happen now. Sure. And they've raised rates across the board. So current pricing, you think, is... Yeah, it's a little more stable. It's a, it's a little bit uh, more um, anticipating that people will keep their policies, and there's a lot more data now. Um, long-term care policies um, basically go back to the late 70s and only became really popular in the late 80s and 90s and obviously today. Um, so there's a lot more data now on claims and the cost uh, that they're going to have to outlay. So that gives insurance carriers a little bit more of an idea of how to price their products so that they don't have to go through big rate increases in the future. Pretty much every company out there has had some round of rate increases. Um, you know, I won't mention any in particular, but there are some that <laughs> had to, uh, had to uh, basically raise rates recently. And that was their big, um, their big claim to fame was that they never raised rates. So they've just gone through a route of rate increases. But again, won't name companies. In Time for a new marketing firm to come up with a, That's new, right. That's a right. new motto, I guess. That's right. Okay. So I'm a big proponent, as you know, of financial planning. Sure. I think that's where it all starts. I think that's what you, uh, one of the biggest keys to being successful. So when I do my financial plan, I look at it as you're going to have three categories of, of people who need long, well, three categories of people, right? People who don't need long-term care insurance. Correct. Um, because maybe they don't have the assets, the people who have a lot of assets, and then that big swath in the middle. Mm-hmm. Who need, who in your opinion should be looking at this type of stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and there's no blanket recommendation um, across the board. Everybody's situation is different. And that's why I like to have people start with the financial plan because that will help dictate what their exposure is and where their assets are that they could use for a potential um, long-term care uh, risk or cost. So there are people that have minimal assets that the more direct route for, for care for them, the cost of care, is going to be the, the state welfare system for long-term care, which is Medicaid. That means spending down your assets to the poverty level. Um, generally, people that own their own homes and have a hundred to $200,000 or more of assets to protect, those are people that 
really can benefit from a long-term care plan. It has to be affordable. It has to fit within their budget, but certainly something that should be explored, especially if they're healthy enough to, to get approved for a plan. And it gets really complicated when, you know, you have a spouse. Correct. Who maybe wants to remain in the home. So, Correct. no, I, I guess I understand what you mean by there's no blanket recommendation. Sure, sure. And, and it can help to have the, the spouse um, offset some of the costs. A lot of the companies will have a discount um, for couples. Um, but what they found, and this is something that's fairly recent, is the rates have become gender specific where they used to be unisex rates. And by that, I mean uh, a male at age 65 with the same benefits would pay the same premium as a female at age 65 with the same benefits. But as I mentioned before, that they have more data, they're finding that statistically females have a much higher claims rate. So that means that they've had to reprice their uh, insurance policy offerings and females generally pay a higher rate. Um, Because they live longer. They live longer. They tend to have um, more of a claims rate and that's for a variety of reasons. They may be depending on their spouse to to provide their care. Um, You know, and I noticed, uh, well, I don't know if you saw this, but life expectancy in the U.S. has fallen over the last few years. (laughs) Right. So yeah, I, I guess the women are, are living longer. Yeah, um, most are outliving their husbands. Um, and so that's part of the deal. They are providing some of the care for their husbands. And then if they're left holding the bag, then they are the ones that tend to, tend to, um, tend to need uh, the care and, and therefore driving up the claims cost. Okay. So let me ask you, uh, is there just like one straight kind of long-term care policy or I, I've seen some hybrids sure. that have come along here and, and the industry, I guess, is getting more and more creative, right? Sure. They're always looking for innovation like Apple. Well, some people may argue against Apple's innovation, but in the long-term care industry, where where's the innovation coming from? Yeah, it's a good question. So if we go back to who needs long-term care, who do we recommend it to? Um, the one end of the spectrum we didn't really touch on was the people with higher net worth that have Warren significant Buffett. assets, right? right. Well, um, yeah, Warren Buffett certainly is, is the extreme, but somebody that's, you know, has maybe three or $4 million in assets, do they really need a long-term care plan? And I guess the question is, do they want to protect a portion of those assets and maybe pass them on to the next generation mm-hmm. or not outlive them? And not, there's a lot of argument that they still need a long-term care plan. So in response to that, um, there have been not just traditional long-term care plans, but hybrid plans, whereas it's a life insurance policy with a long-term care benefit. And the idea behind that is if you don't use the long-term care benefit, the premium dollars that you've dumped in are paid out to a beneficiary. A lot of our higher net worth individuals and couples like that option because, frankly, most people don't want to pay for another insurance that they may not need. Right. So it's a nice option for them to look at and say, all right, well, if I'm going to, say, leave $100,000 to the next generation, um, it's nice to uh, put that into a long-term care plan or a long-term care policy that offers protection of long-term care costs, but also has the ability to pay out the beneficiary should I never need it. So it's been a nice option for our higher net worth clients. It's not a perfect fit for everybody, but certainly something that can be explored. 
But there obviously is still the traditional long-term care plan where basically the idea behind that is uh, you pay the same premium every year. It might be a a significantly lower premium than the hybrid long-term care plan. Um, And you pay that every year until you either need care or you pass on. It's almost like an insurance mulligan, right? Yep. Where I can, but I'm sure it costs a little something extra in your premium in order to get the return of premium back. It it does. It's a good point. You you, you are outlaying more premium dollars for the hybrid plans um, initially, but the other uh, attractive factor or feature of the hybrid plans is most of these are guaranteed contracts. That means they will never go through a rate increase. Uh, So that's something to keep in mind with these hybrid plans. Okay. All right. Kevin, I, I appreciate you coming in. We're, we're about running out of time here. Sure. Um, any last thoughts on long-term care? Well, the only thing I would say is from a technology standpoint or innovation you had asked about, um, it's becoming a lot more consumer-friendly. Um, there's some features out there, and one of the particular carriers has one um, that allows you to go online and really um, – tailor the the care uh, givers and the and the care environment to your particular family member who needs care or if you are the one um, deciding where you're going to receive care um, you have a lot more uh, ability to use technology um, one of the nice features of that is something called the care circle and it allows you to um, have family members check in on a particular website and see how mom's doing for instance um, it also allows the care provider to be in there and say, you know, your mother did so-and-so today, took her medication, she went for a walk, um, you know, and it gives you a real nice idea um, about the future of long-term care as far as the communication, as far as using technology to make it easier for people um, to provide care and check up on their loved ones to make sure they're receiving quality care. So I would look for more of that from an industry standpoint, um, the use of technology to allow people to um, have a better quality of life late in their years. Mm-hmm. So, it, so since you're an independent provider or, or agent, I guess, sure. you know, you shop around to try and find the right policy for the right situation where you're not tied to like, you know, maybe you're used to a John Hancock or, or wherever, Correct. um, to, you know, so that's, that's important to remember too. If someone wants to get a hold of you, how do they do it? Sure. That's two ways. Um, you can go to our website, which is, um, X, it's XML insurance group. So xmlig.com. Um, the other way is to just email or give a call to the office, uh, office number 301-770-5234. You Say it again. 301-770-5234. <laughs> And uh, ask for me if I'm on a call or not at my desk. You can certainly uh, leave your information and I'll get back to you. Um, the other way is you can shoot me an email at kpeters at xmlig.com. Again, just if someone has a basic sure. insurance question, you're happy to absolutely to just absolutely. you know answer back real quick or or what have you. You know, even if it's Medigap, we've talked about before, long term care, life insurance. Correct. I know you do a lot of work with um, small and medium sized businesses too. Correct. So, uh, if you got questions, reach out to Kevin. Um, email him. Go to the website. What have you, Kevin? Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Like I said, we've kind of run past the time that we had allotted, sure. but I appreciate it. We'll have you on in a, in a few more months talking about something else insurance related, I'm sure. Thank and, you, Eric. Uh, it, until then, um, 
Thank you. Now, like I said, we were up against the end of the show. We'll be back next Wednesday. But until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.